Would you please join me in prayer? It's good to be here today, Lord. Lots of other things that are going on in the world, and yet in here we get to think about eternity, about the, the way things are, not the way things uh, look. We get to look beyond death and the grave and see hope and resurrection in heaven. And so I ask your blessing upon those who've lost loved ones in this last year or for those whose memories today are particularly sharp. I pray you would grant them along with all of us the comfort that comes from your spirit and the hope that comes in Jesus. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I always like to have a good hook to start my sermon and, you know, here's something creative and here's something cool or something to put on the screen and everyone goes, ah, how does our pastor think of such cute stuff to put on there? It's just great. And I have that hook for this sermon, but as I got up to preach at eight o'clock, it just wasn't appropriated. When I read those names, it's all I can do to kind of hold myself together. And on a staff like ours and a church like ours, I've only done maybe a third of those uh, funerals. Pastor Bob, another third, maybe half of them, and, and then the rest parsed out over the, the staff. And, and yet I can go back to that exact place. I can go back to exactly where we were with each funeral, with each family. I can get into the, where, where we sat and what we we're doing and the conversation in my office to organize the, the funeral, all of those all of those pieces. And I'm reminded of a couple things, right? I'm, I'm reminded that life goes on, that, that you wake up the following day and that, that, that you move from that really bitter grief that's super, super painful and sharp into time of healing and hope and a little bit of, of calm and comfort. And, and I'm reminded that there's still those moments of tears and crying. There's just something about a smell or a sight or something that takes you back to that moment of loss, makes you think about that person. And in such an event-driven world, that's an odd thing. We do. We live in an event-driven world. And, 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 and that's driven by so many things. One is calendars and schedules and the plethora of things there are to do and, and how easily we are to schedule stuff out. And, and so life becomes not a, an integrated whole, but it becomes choppy little bites of things we do, of events. We plan for them. We put them on our calendar in little bites of time. And then we, we, we live our life going from event to event to event. And I'm reminded of the dates and times of the people who've died and gone on before us. And, and there was a date for that. There was a, and a date for the funeral and for some a date for the committal. And, and yet even when those events are over on the calendar, it lingers in our souls. And that's the way God designed for people to really live. To be connected not just through events, but be connected through faith in Jesus Christ. And for Christians to see the world not just as a series of things you got to do, but to see whole life held together in Christ and faith in Christ. And that living by the moment becomes a very painful way to live when the moments don't line up the way we'd like them to. I go back to some of those times 
some of those moments in life where you wondered if you were going to make it through and you did. I'm reminded that life is more than entertainment event after entertainment event, vacation after vacation, day after day, work day after work day, thing after thing. Eventually in those moments, there's a hard stop. And you know exactly what I mean when I say a hard stop. There's that moment where you just had to sit down and say, mom died. And all the events that are coming up in the days ahead don't mean anything. Mom is sick and has the diagnosis of stage four cancer. Change my calendar, change my list, my priority of my events. And some things are just more important. Remember the death of my own father in 1984, 1985. I withdrew from college and dropped 17 credits at Concordia, Univer Concordia College in St. Paul. And had to go a whole nother year of school to pick those up, but wouldn't have traded that six, eight months with my family for the world. It's a hard stop in life. I'm reminded of my grandmother whose body was worn out with serving as a nurse for years and years at a, a county mental hospital, which she would call the funny farm, but, but grandma never had a hip replacement or a knee replacement. Grandma's body just flat out wore out. And when grandpa died and grandma was left, her life came to a full stop. She had to move out of her home that she'd been in for 50 plus years. She had to move into the Eau Claire Manor. She was no longer able to make sugar cookies or cinnamon rolls or homemade bread or homemade noodles or homemade dumplings or all of those carbohydrate-rich foods, which Grandma was so good at. And everything changed. And it's in those dead-stop moments that we figure out what we're connected to. When all of the events kind of scatter away what's real, what matters, what lasts, what is of an eternal value that we can hang on to rather than giving a ticket to get into the next event of our lives. In, John, in Revelation chapter 6, John highlights also the, the kind of cruddy events of life. Those things that you look at, that you read in the newspaper, that you look at on the internet, that, that maybe you have delivered on emails in your, uh, in, in your computer and you look at that and you say, I don't like the way this is going. This is going to be a painful event. John reminds us that those events are always going to be until we're with the Lord Jesus in heaven. There's always going to be someone looking to subjugate somebody else. There's always going to be a, a, a dictator, a despot, an autocrat. There's always going to be someone who's going to stand up and say, I'm more powerful than you. Our country's more powerful than yours. And there's going to be events that come around those sorts of leaders in the world. And the answer to the question is, who's in charge? Who has the authority? Who is the leader? Who's the person at the very center of all things? Because on earth, men vie for that. But in Revelation 7, it's a little different picture. John says there's always going to be economic injustice in the world. There's always going to be people who need what we have. I'm reminded of this summer in Kenya where we went and we brought through shirts from a Disneyland 5K run. And they were green shirts with gold on them and I thought they were kind of cool and everyone got one. But 
but we must have handed out 500 of those to the kids in Kenya. And they put them right on and wore them right in front of us. If someone gives me a shirt like that, I'll put it in my bike riding arsenal and I would never wear it to church. It's just not good enough for an event like this. It's not pretty enough. It doesn't say Tommy Bahama or Men's Warehouse on it. There's always going to be those places of injustice in the world. Our kids in Kenya with their green shirts had beans and rice and a little bit of goat to eat. We went back to the hotel and ate like Westerners. There's always issues of security, of shelter, of food, of protection. Whether it's in our own neighborhoods here in Orange and Santa Ana and Anaheim or, or, or throughout the world. There's always going to be those places where, where there's a lack of economic justice. We have so much and they have so little. How does that ever work out? When does that ever work? When is there ever relief for those who have so little? That ongoing stuff, John writes in Revelation 6, that ongoing stuff in the world, the events that get into our lives. There's always going to be bands of immigrants moving from country to country. There's always going to be people who are upset and angry with how this is going and that is going. There's always going to be this kind of underlying murmur in hearts and lives of people because that's the nature of the way the world rolls events out. And then the event passes and there's another event. And that one passes and there's another event and there's another one passes. And we look and we say, when will it all just kind of calm down? All of those pieces of pain running amok like horsemen, coming to bring difficulty and stress and anxiety to people of the earth. And yet we are the ones who are called to an eternal value and an eternal look at life. A Christian worldview, if you will. An eternal worldview. Because there's opportunity to get stuck in the events and the moments rather than see the big picture of what God is doing and what God has done for us in His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. So John writes the Revelation. And for Lutherans, it's one of the things I love about being a Lutheran. We don't look at the book of Revelation and go, ooh. We look at the book of Revelation, we go, yes. The questions that are out there for us about who's in charge, about when will there be justice, about when will all the the tears be wiped, when will all this stuff kind of go away? And we as Lutherans, we look and we say, you know what, all this stuff is coming down and God wins. At the end of the day, we belong to Jesus. And the picture of that is right here. In Revelation 7, you may want to open your bulletin and take a look at that as I work through just a little bit of that. John, an older disciple. John exiled on an island of Patmos. John having seen all of the other disciples go away. John having been there for the woman at the well, the Garden of Gethsemane, heard the story of the lambs. Been there at the cross, been there at the resurrection, been there in the boat at the end when they were... Fishing with Jesus, having breakfast. John, tired and old, but yet the Lord gives him a glimpse of what really is. And so John writes these words beginning at verse 9. 
After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. In an eternal point of view, there are no elections, there are no ratifications, there are no Senate hearings to see who gets in and who gets out of heaven. You see, the Lamb is at the center of the throne. And the Lamb is at the center of the throne because He is the one who's done the job. He's been elected by His Father. Jesus elected by His Father to be at the center and the core of all things. Voted not with a vote of acclamation, but elected to that by, the, by His death on the cross. By the stinging death of Jesus on the cross and the glorious resurrection of Jesus. He is at the center of all things. And life revolves around Him and not the events of life. Rather, the events of life rotate around faith in Jesus Christ. There's nothing greater for you and me than be elected to eternal life by the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You and me and our loved ones are, are in that tribe, in that nation, around that throne. You and me. These are they. These are us. Who's in charge? Who's the leader? Jesus. Well, why is Jesus the leader? Because he's the one who went through death and rose up on the other side. And in that he has conquered death. No more conquest. No more being conquered. Because Jesus is the one in charge. And life revolves around him. And John continues to write, Therefore, they are before the Lamb of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Sometimes when I visit with families, especially if the family's gone through a long bout of cancer, we talk about the fact that in heaven there is no chemotherapy, there is no radiation, there are no hospital beds, there are no transfusions. There are no shots and vaccinations and pills because the painful pieces in Christ are gone. No more scorching sun and blazing heat. No more hunger, no more thirst. Rather, the children with the little green shirts gather around the Lamb of the throne with little black joyful faces and green t-shirts that say Disneyland. And they sing with us. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wisdom and glory and strength and might. There's no more immigration in heaven because God has called all his people together in Christ. 
And so there is fear is gone. Anxiety is gone. Having to please other people and be approved of other people is gone because the approval of Christ for you and me supersedes all of that stuff. And so there is this marvelous peace that comes from being in the presence of God where our loved ones who've gone forward in the faith are at this very moment. And there's one more piece here. And it's an intimate piece and a close piece. It's that piece of tears. No doubt the toughest guy in the history of the world when his mother passes away, stands at that coffin and cries like a little child. That's okay. The toughest football player in the history of the world when his father passes away, when he remembers his dad and sings a hymn or hears a hymn verse or smells a a dinner, he tears up and wells up because that's how God made us and designed us. I can be a pretty tough guy, but sometimes those tears for me come very, very easily. But those tears that we cry are cathartic. They help get that which is bottled up on the inside to the outside. And somehow the vulnerability of tears has a healing power to it. But at the end, at the end of the end, our loved ones in heaven, tears are wiped away. And the picture of that is intimate and close. It's not Jesus handing out hankies or Kleenexes. It's the Lord walking up in the midst of the crowd and noticing the one that has the tear in the eye. And with a touch and a smile and a warm word, the lamb reaches down and wipes the tear away. His comfort, his consolation, that which is real, not merely an event that goes away, that which is real. That's why people look at Christians like we're nuts. I can live with that. Matter of fact, I kind of like that. In the midst of painful events, people look at us and go, how do you sail through that? Better said, some of you have said to me, how do people who don't know Jesus make it through a time of grief and loss? And the answer is with tears that don't stop. But for you and me who know Jesus, we do not grieve as people who have no hope. Rather, we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will take with Jesus into heaven all those who have died and are in Christ. You and me, we are different. We're in Jesus. You and me, we go through the events of life, but we see them hooked up and connected together. You and me, we, we can be comforted and we can comfort You and me one day will be in a crowd much larger than this one with people who are already in that crowd. You and me and us together will be singing maybe fly to Jesus, maybe for all the saints, but either way we'll be 
in that crowd together, we will be with Jesus. And so those words bring a profound sense of comfort. They bring a profound sense of peace. Not because of the event of the cross and the resurrection, but because the cross and the resurrection tie together all things in Jesus. So I pray that God would bless you with a measure of consolation and a measure of peace. For death is that momentary event and it stings to be sure. But being in Christ, being with Jesus, that, my dear, dear congregation, that goes on forever. Amen.